0: Today we're going to be revisiting the Seattle years From lunch at the bridge to breakfast in America Alan, how are you mate? Alright mate, I'm good, yeah And when I say lunch at the bridge, because you were um, still playing at Arsenal you were almost on the run from Terry Neal. You'd had the yeah. make-up final. You start the story because the connection came from a lunch at Stamford Bridge when you bumped into Bobby Moore.
1: Yeah, I, ever, I was, uh, as you say, I was, I'd was. gone AWOL and uh, I was, wasn't getting on with the manager, so I walked out. I wasn't getting paid. Uh, my missus had to go out of work to get some money. He worked in a restaurant No. I would just get him by, and uh, Christine Matthews at Stamford Bridge offered me. She said, "We've got a spare box at the bridge. Would you like to run it?" And I, I went, "Yeah, you know, lovely social. That's my kind of game." So I was there one day, at a match, and uh, I was walked. I walked out at half time and uh, to go to the gents, and I bumped into Bobby Moore, and I said, "Look, Bob, come in, come in the box." And the boys said, "I was with Dennis Waterman was in the box with me." And a couple of other pals. And uh, I said, the boys, I'd love to see you. Come in and have a beer with me. And I never thought i would know either. it. Anyway, he, he walked in after the game and, and he said, what are you doing? Why aren't, why aren't you, you know, you should be out there playing. He said, you're 27. He said, it's ridiculous. you just waste. And he said, and then he, he mentioned that Jimmy Gabriel was in the restaurant and he'd been to Seattle and I would love it in Seattle and recommended it. And that's how it all came about.
0: Now, Jimmy Gabriel... When we roll it back almost 50 years to, to, to today, he left his mark on you in 1969,
1: didn't he? He did, he did. He went, he went over the top to me in Southampton. I was only a kid and finding my way in the game, but uh, I did ask him about it when I was over there and he said he was taking on some pill or something. His missus gave him him some, something to liven him up or something. <laughs> and he said, i got you mixed up with Ronnie Harris. I said, well, Jim, I said... The, I don't think so. I said, "I had air down my back, and Ron had short, short back inside." So I said, "How can you get us mixed up?" He said, "Well, that just shows you what how this pill was working." You know, but uh, it was lovely because Jimmy, Jimmy, I knew Jimmy as well. We went on a trip with Chelsea and Southampton, and we got to, together socially. So I knew him. I knew him. Uh, I knew of him, and I knew about him, and I knew he was a real good bloke. And you know, I was uh, I was more than happy to sign for him.
0: And Southampton, they they were a, a social team, literally, wasn't they? Bill Shankly had a had a, had a name for, for the Southampton team, didn't he?
1: He called them the Owl House team, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> uh, after uh, you know they, <laughs> they had a brawl at Anfield or Southampton, but they 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 could drink, but they could play as well. I mean, they had some bloody, they had some good players, you know, uh, at that time. I mean, I sort of watched them play the year before at the bridge when they, they beat Chelsea 6 and uh, Ron Davis and Martin Chivers and young Mike Shannon was playing that's a kind of uh, trio they had up front which today would be something phenomenal really when you think of British players and this, uh, so they, they they were a very very good team and obviously they had Jimmy in midfield Jimmy would have played a lot more for Scotland They'd, back Baxter not been playing, uh, and also a little fella called Brian O'Neill who would kick his own Granny if he had to, you know. So they were a tough, they were a tough, tough unit, you know.
0: Because this is the thing people say. Well, you know, players in the past, they you know, it was all about socialising. It was you know, they used to go go on the raz after the game, they drink before games, they drink after games, you know. Back in them days, it was a totally different game. But the one thing that I've always maintained and, and books that I've read is that you go, guys, yeah, you did play hard, but you trained even harder, didn't you?
1: Yeah, well, that was... Uh, it becomes second nature to me. I knew I had to, you know... I knew that My strength was all in... I didn't have it in up upper bent, uh, body strength. Someone like Tony Curry was very strong up, upstairs, you know, uh, and we had to make the most of what we had. And my my strength was in my running. Really, I knew if I kept myself fit and could outrun an opponent, then you know my the skill I had uh, would let would see me through when they were tiring at the end of the game. I used to make more goals at the end of the game than I did at any time. Uh, and I remember when Ericsson took over. England and they was changing the team at half time I said to someone I said I wouldn't be no good playing under Ericsson because I didn't start running until late in the game and by that time he would have pulled me off at half time you know he was changing 11 players at half time which was quite ludicrous because some players take you know who uh, get stronger as the game goes on
0: but again, and with I was the, certainly one of them. With, with some of those friendlies, it, it does make a mockery of it, and 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 also just before you you left uh, while you was at Arsenal, you know people say, "Oh, Hudson, he was the one that turned down England to play against Brazil," but. Again, it's not as simple as that. You had a late call from Ron Greenwood. You wasn't particularly fit. And playing against one of the, probably the greatest team on the planet, wouldn't have been ideal for you at that time. And
1: wouldn't have been ideal for England, neither would it? Well, I think, um, once again, you know, managers, yes. the first thing I would do as manager, I would ask the player how he was and exactly. if he was fit and... It was something that amazed me with Arsenal, really, because I didn't really have a proper medical and I was injured there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was so unprofessional for a big club like Arsenal. I mean, Mm -hmm. it couldn't happen today. Uh, I wouldn't have passed a fitness test with uh, this abdominal problem I had. And, uh, in fact, they shouldn't have bought me, really, in in the state that I was in. Uh, But Stoke were desperate for the money because of the roof blowing off. And, you know... uh, They kind of thought, well, we're getting rid of Alan Ball, we'll we'll bring him in, you know. So it it was a change of events, which didn't really make much sense for anybody.
0: And, and you had the call on, on the Friday while you were out socialising and, uh, you, you know, so you had no time to even prepare for the game against Brazil as well. So, in essence, there's no way that you could have actually joined up with England and made a difference for either you, Alan Hudson, or England against Brazil. It was ridiculous and it was a late call-up because somebody got injured so you wasn't, you wasn't
1: already in Greenwood's plans. Well, it was uh, it was actually a Sunday pool because uh, we played on a Saturday and uh, at Highbury, I think. And and uh, I was in my local on a Sunday night, and obviously the the squad gathers on a Sunday to play the game on a Wednesday. So I was in my local on a Sunday night, and somebody shouted out my name. you wanted on the phone. It's Ron Greenwood. I told him. I told him where to go because I thought someone was kidding me, and uh, it was him. But. Uh, He should have asked me, really, on the phone, you know, if I was fit and everything else. And I mean, you don't want to pick a player who's not in the right frame of mind anyway. Uh, But uh, I don't really know what the situation was with Ron. But as I say, I didn't know him, so uh, I couldn't really be... I I was very, very honest and frank with him and said, with the greatest respect, I'm not in... The right frame of mind to play. I'm still carrying a bit of an injury, and I don't really want to be any one substitute kind of thing, you know. Uh, and he accepted that, and it, it was fine. But the terrible thing was, I see him years later at Upton Park when I used to go over there, and uh, I went to speak to him. He was, I think, he had the, the you know, he was losing yeah. the plot a little bit, you know sad, which very was very sad, so I couldn't really put my case across to him, you know. Mm.
0: Now, you're leaving Arsenal, you, you've had the, the call from Jimmy Gabriel, you're getting ready to, to fly out to uh, the great northwest, West, um, the city that makes the Boeing aircraft, did you have any offers from any English clubs, given given the fact that you, at the time, were certainly in the top three performing midfield players and you were only 27 so you were coming
1: into the prime of your career no I didn't have one it's <laughs> strange, it's quite strange really when I left Chelsea to go to Stoke that only one club coming in from me and when I went Stoke to Arsenal I didn't even know I was leaving then and Arsenal come in for me, uh, Jimmy Robertson called me out the blue and said you're leaving I didn't know about that so and then uh, nobody wanted me when I was leaving Arsenal, but I could qu- quite understand that in a way because I'd, I'd walked out on the club. But Arsenal were stupid, really, because they, sh- they, were, you know, they they should have kind of let people know that there was no trouble. I weren't a troublemaker, but instead of that, uh, they kind of let it know that I was, I'd gone AWOL. So who's going to buy a player who walks out on a football club? No one, really. Uh, but that's, uh, that's like when I was having trouble at Chelsea, people like Waddington can understand that. Yeah. And, uh, Jimmy Gabriel was in that mold, you know, he could understand. I sat with him and I told him why I'd walked out and I him and he said, well, I don't blame you. Yeah. So, uh, so he signed me. He was delighted with signing me. He got me for, you know, half the money that Arsenal paid for me it was cut down price. So. Everyone was happy, really. And um, what was it like going out there? You, I'm, I'm guessing you
0: didn't know much about the NASL prior. You, you'd seen bits because we were all aware of how, how big the the American scene was in the 70s with George going out there, Pelley's out there crying. Everyone and everybody is over there in America. But what did you know about Seattle before you arrived there, Al?
1: I knew absolutely nothing about yeah. Seattle at that time. only what Bobby told me. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even know that Jeff Thurston... But there was quite some players I knew that played yeah. over there before me, funnily enough. Jimmy Robertson, was at Stoke with me. Tommy Baldwin took out a spell there. Was he Chelsea with me? But I knew nothing at all about the place. Uh, and... Uh, it was quite strange, really, because I couldn't wait to get back playing. I really missed playing and keeping fit, and although I was running out, out running every day, but uh, then when I got there, I just fell in love with the, the whole city straight away. So that was quite easy to settle in.
0: How how different was Seattle when you first arrived? By by looking at your surroundings, your new your new accommodation compared to what you'd you'd been used to at at Stoke and in and in London as well.
1: Well, I found it uh, a breath of fresh air because um, it was great over there, and I can see why people, why George went there and other players went there because they didn't know who we were. You know you have a drink in Chelsea or Stoke, and it all goes back to the manager, or you know they can't they can't wait to make a phone call and say you're out but over there they don't even know who you are you know you yes. nobody takes any notice they don't know you know football soccer players as they call them, they don't know who we were. Mm. I was a captain of Seattle, and nobody knew me, so it was great and I just used to socialize with them as if I was just one of them, really yeah. So, so it was really nice not to have to worry about going into training the next day and someone to grasp you up, you know.
0: Now, in your, your brilliant book, um, the, uh, the Working Man's Ballet, you, you, you wrote in one of your chapters that you were born to play in America and and looking at your lifestyle, reading your books, talking to you, get to knowing you, I think you, you were born to play there in the States everything that they had to offer was there for you and and, and it's almost as though I know Stoke was the best time in your your footballing career because you played your best football there but at Seattle you seemed so settled and comfortable and and literally like you was born to play there
1: Yeah, I I think um, I was born to live life to the full and um, there's no better place in the world than to do that than in America, mm-hmm. and I just loved, I loved the city, and I loved, I loved. Uh, my favourite was going away on the to play four game four games in ten days, and going on away trip to New York and Tampa, Fort Lauderdale, Washington. You know, playing against all the other great players, and it was like a, it was basically a working man's holiday. Yeah, uh, only you could you know. You did really I did, really did keep myself fit, so uh, and I had to be a little bit more of an example because of the way I lived, and I was the first player really to sign a long contract over there, because those were the days when people only used to go there at the end of the season on a like kind of a loan deal, you know
0: yeah.
1: so I, I was their first long time uh, signing really
0: and you had a nice little house. Um... Next, well, I'm guessing throughout your career, you met many barmen, but you literally lived next to the Barmans in, in Seattle, didn't you?
1: Yes, I went and posted a letter one day, went up to see if I had any mail in my old pigeonhole, and then I, next door to me, I see bar, the name barman there, and I thought, well, I was meant, it was meant to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I became great friends with them. They were from California. We were from London, so we had a lot to talk about, and... Um, we had parties at my house and they were always invited, whereas in London they tried to close me down, you know. Yeah. They'd phone the police and say, you know, he's having another one of his parties. But uh, it weren't the way in America because America is a very social country.
0: Now, did you just have the one house in America? Was that the one in the uh, hills of Bellevue?
1: Yes, I had yeah. that. Then I bought a smaller one in Tampa Bay where I went down and fell in love with when I played there. Uh and that was um, but that was a lot cheaper. That wasn't to live in. That was just to go down because I, lo- I just loved the place and thought it would be nice to stay there, you know, in uh, on holidays.
0: Now, your, de- but, your debut for Seattle, what was it like? Who did you play against? And, and was you quarter-zoned before that first game that you played there?
1: I would. The first game, strangely enough, was against Tulsa. It was against Alan Hinton's team. Okay. He was the manager of Tulsa, I believe. And, um... um I remember what they used to do in them days. Of course, like us, they used to inject cortisone into I I still had that bad ankle. Uh, and I remember being injected. And uh, the doctor obviously only injected me for the 90 minutes. And if you draw over there, then you play on to a goal scored or you go into overtime. So quarter of an hour each way overtime. So... The drug had worn off, and I was I was running on this ankle which had been injected, and the, the thing had worn off. So I was excruciating pain, and I had to walk off. Uh, so it was that was a bit of a my first match was a little bit like the Southampton one, although losing five 0 a bit of a disaster uh, because I really wanted to show me worth and didn't get the chance to.
0: Again, America being a, a hot country, I I assume, because Seattle is in the northwest. It's above California, isn't it? It's you know almost the opposite to where you put a postage stamp. I'm guessing the ground was quite hard. How did your 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 ankle uh, cope with, with that, or 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 did they? Bring well, in our, the our
1: our stadium was indoor okay. with uh, the astroturf, and it had a bit of a, a sponge to it, so it you know it wasn't as bad as. Some of the pitches over there, which we like playing on the M6, yeah, uh, and our training ground. Rent, and I mean, it rained so much in Seattle, it was always wet. So that was always give that a bit of a a, a soft touch on the on the surface. So I, yeah, I I, I got through it uh, all right. But, but uh, I, I say to people quite regularly, they say, you know, you love the sun and you love being out in the sun and I did I said but I was in Seattle for four years and we hardly got any sunshine but I never noticed it because I was enjoying myself so much it was such a it was such a great place to be you know there's so much to do and the people were great and I I was just born to born to live there you know and that's when I started writing the book The Working Man's Ballet and I and I remember the first night I thought you know this is going to be my resting place And I, I was really convinced that I would never come back. Uh, but then, just just when you think uh, you've cracked it, something happens.
0: Again, we'll touch upon that a little bit later in this episode. But with all chapters of your life, there's something that just goes unbelievably wrong, isn't there?
1: Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I thought when I this was a little bit later, you know, when I went back to Stoke, when I when I was offered the manager's job by the chairman there and he died on the morning of yeah. uh, my getting to Stoke. You know, I just was, I just don't know where I went that day. I don't know where my mind was. I was, one minute I was on the train from London to Stoke thinking I was going to be the next Stoke manager. And then when I found the ground, as he told me to do, uh the girl on the reception told me he died five o'clock that morning or six o'clock that morning so I'd have gone down the night before I'd have probably been the manager
0: it's amazing isn't it
1: so it's uh, yeah yeah It's yeah. things you know I, I mean I we broke the record in Seattle as well we broke the New York Cosmos record we had a superb team we played brilliantly that, that year and uh, but the owners who were great people they were the um, they were the lovely Italian family uh, the Cluchios, Uh they just couldn't take the loss every yeah. anymore. You know, they, they, we were, I think we averaged twenty eight thousand, but for some reason they were losing money and and they just they couldn't take it anymore. It might be down to health reasons or or something, but it was such a shame. And then we had, you know, when you get one bad American, you get a bad American, and and that's what we got who come in and took over.
0: Now you had some great times at the training ground, or or. Or before you even got there, um, a big box of US dollars and uh, and a goalkeeper. Talk, talk to me about that. That was a bit of a situation, wasn't it?
1: Well, that, the the terrible thing about that is I was you know it was before I got there and and I become I had two three great friends. there, really, one was Roy Greaves from Bolton. Uh, one was Steve Battle. He was a great great player from he played at Bournemouth and he. He was a terrific player i loved playing with him and and the other was a big six foot three six foot four overweight russian-american goalkeeper and uh called mike Ivanow. and i used to get on like gas on fire with him and he he was like a scout wherever we went over the country he would go and find all the bars and everything else he was like the lookout and uh just before, I got, well, the six months before I got there, the sorry goes there, he got into training and he was out of season, he was working for his dad in the, in the bank and he embezzled the bank and uh, two of my pals, Adrian Webster and Tommy Jenkins, uh, they got to training and he said to them, do you want to train today or do you want to go to Vegas? So they thought he was kidding and they said, well, what do you mean? And he opened the trunk of his car and there were like all these dollars. He embezzled the bank, and he was on his way to Vegas. So off they went. The three of them went to SeaTac Airport and flew to Vegas instead of going in the training ground. And I think that had I been there, I'd have been there with them. <laughs> uh, and I believe they went there for a long weekend and was there for about 10 days and never come out of the room. What, what, uh, what
0: happened when they come back to Seattle? Didn't, didn't Jimmy Gabrile get ballistic?
1: Well, I, I think it might have been a pre-season or something. <laughs> but Jimmy, I think Jimmy was so short sure of players at that time, he couldn't really do anything because he needed them. Uh, um, I mean, he, he was—he was an unbelievable character. I don't I was, he, uh, and I mean, I—I I tried my hardest when I was captain, and then became assistant coach. I—I I tried my hardest. I sat him down one day. With, we were around my house having a drink and I said, Look, you've got to go on a diet and you've got to start training better, you know, you you gotta lose some weight, I want you know you got you've got to start playing. Because we have another fellow, a German American called Jack Brand, who was a very good goalkeeper. And I said, Come on, give him a give him a fight for your place, you know. Uh, but it was too much for him, he couldn't do it. He he was too busy enjoying himself, so bless him. But he was a, he was a great great pal of mine, uh, but I did miss miss out on the Vegas trip, and I've never wished to go there with anyone else but him. So I, I wouldn't bother.
0: Now some of the great players that you were, that you played against uh, in America, you played against Johan Cruyff.
1: Well, Johan Cruyff i always said it's the best yeah. uh, player I've ever played against because. He, uh, because of the performances he put in against, you know, when we were on the field together, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's obviously George and people like that. But uh, he just happened to be phenomenal when I played against him. Uh, and the, we had a, a fellow over there called Bogacevic who played in midfield for New York. He was a big Yugoslav, fantastic player. And I loved him. I loved playing against him as well. And it was you really had to be at your best to play against him. Uh, and then they had the great Giorgio Shinaglia, who was at Swansea at one time, and they kicked him out, and he went there to break all the records over there, centre-forward. He, like the, he was like the mafia boss over there. Uh, you know, you went up to toss up the coin before a game with Giorgio, and he was like talking to Don Corleone, you know. <laughs> it was fantastic, and he was such a gentleman. Uh, and you always know he'd score. So, you know, they were the kind of characters out there. You know, they New York had so many players. Um, I remember the first time I played at New York, they had a, uh, you'll know this fellow, played at Coventry, Steve Hunt. Yeah. Uh, not long before he'd been in the England team, and yet he was on the bench. You couldn't even get in their team. That's how good they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, they, you know, they have players from all over the world. Uh, I couldn't name them. I think they had three World Cup finalists in their team when I first played there. Three Dutch World Cup uh, World Cup winning uh, teams that played against West Germany.
0: And and I'm uh, guessing be, being a, a massive fan of Frank Sinatra, uh, you loved New York and uh, one for my baby was. Uh, well,
1: yeah, yeah. I know mean, it was. It was really New York and Chicago with yeah. Frank. It was all. The piano bars in New York and the restaurants in Chicago. It was like Mafia time, uh which are my my favourite movies and my favourite music, my favourite kind of generation, if you like. I'm yeah. still reading The Godfather today, um uh, so I, I did love that side of it and the characters in in these places. It, it was it was terrific existence, you know. If you couldn't get in, you know, they talk about London, the greatest city in the world, but New York was something else.
0: And, and the actual stadiums in the NA, NASL, because they're, they're all franchises over there, wasn't they? And, and you looked at that game and you thought, it's got to kick off with all these stars that are playing in America. And, and for some reason it didn't. And then a few years after you left, it it, it pretty much folded. And it's the M. Um, the major league soccer now, isn't it? It's, it is it is a different... For, well, it's the same format, but it's a different league, isn't it?
1: Well, I always knew that they would come forward because it was just a matter of allowing them kids to grow up. And, yeah. and there was a, so many British over there that their kids and grandchildren would grow up and they would have the opportunity to play. And, uh, and that's all come to fruition now. It's all... Um, and there's players from all over the world, you know, uh, Hispanic and uh, so many different players. In L.A., you play against them. In Chicago, you play against the Germans, you know. Um, yeah, it was just a certainty that it was going to happen one day, and and, and that, has, that has come true now.
0: But going back to when you were there, was you surprised, Al, when it actually pretty much folded football there in America?
1: Uh. Well, I wasn't. I, was I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. Uh, when I when I left, it was it was still going pretty strong when I left. Yeah. I mean, I left in a, in a blur really, mm-hmm. because uh, I was in kind of shock. Uh, but there was st- there was still a future in the NASL. So I and I and really, when I come back to play, and I was busy trying to get another club back here, and then I kind of forgot about it over there and. Uh, I did tell the truth, Paul, I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you when it folded and how it folded and why. Yeah. Uh it was just there was there was too many owners going over there mm. who were pretenders really. Yeah, you know. Uh I think one was the geezer that he used to have in be in charge of Portsmouth. He was one of the big owners over there. Uh, you know, they used to make out they had all this money and the next thing you know, they weren't paying their bills and Tampa Bay weren't paying their bills and weren't paying the wages and things like that. So it had to come to an end. Uh, but now they're doing it on a professional basis.
0: Mm. Talk, talk to me about the Waterfront Hotel. Did Pelly really catch a shark from his bedroom window?
1: This is what I was told. Yeah? <laughs> Only he could do it. Uh, oh, well, Mike Ivanow could do it. I, I would think, but uh, yeah, the, 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 we stayed down on the on the Waterside Hotel when we our first trip there, and not, we, it was it was known for Pele staying with New York Cosmos and catching a shark out the window. So you can take that as it is. You know, there was no pictures of it. Yeah, uh, but um, I can only I can only say if anyone was going to catch a shark, it would be him. And Sean Cadence said,
0: Hi guys, awesome to have you back on. Best regards, Al. Uh, what an era in the NASL it was in the 70s. And the goal from George Best was probably the best ever. What's your take on that, Al?
1: Yeah, I remember the first time I watched that. Yeah. And uh, George wasn't having, you know, they never really see the best of George Best, but they just see us... Uh, sprinkle of him really there. I think he'd be about six players inside about 10 yards and and scored. I mean, they'd never see American football, American soccer fans, even English fans. I mean, I, I still uh, listen to Stoke fans saying that about George scored a goal at uh, the Victoria ground one day where he beat four defenders in, in the like round about the Penalty area and six yard box and put it past bank
0: and to listen to the rest of this podcast head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash SRB media thank you